Who are we? How do we see and experience the world? What are the hidden forces that drive us? Why do we act, think, and feel the way we do? And how can we become our best, most authentic selves? Welcome to Typology, a series of freewheeling conversations in which we use the Enneagram typing system to explore the mystery of the human personality. I'm Ian Cron. So a few months ago, I was talking to a friend who's a pastor at a mega church outside Chicago. And in the course of conversation, he mentioned to me that he'd recently become friends with a guy named Evan Moffick, who he affectionately called my rabbi. Now, two months later, I'm standing at the Frothy Monkey Coffee Shop here in Franklin, Tennessee, where I live, when an old friend who's a pretty well-known author and speaker in the Christian space, came over to say hello. And I asked him, well, what are you up to these days? And he said, well, right now I'm having lunch with my rabbi, Evan Moffick. You need to meet him. So this is the second time in two months that someone I know who self-identifies as a Christian tells me he has a rabbi, which is a little perplexing, and it's this guy, Evan Moffick. So yes, I definitely had to meet him. So I went over and sat and talked. And as it turns out, Evan's a student and a fan of the Enneagram. And the more we spoke, the more I realized I have to have this guy on typology. So Evan's a three on the Enneagram. So before we go any further, let me briefly give you a quick description of threes. They're called the performers or the achievers. And these folks are ambitious, image-conscious people who are wired for productivity. These folks are doers. Like all types on the Enneagram, they have an underlying motivation that powerfully influences the way they think, act, and feel. Okay? So the underlying motivation for threes is a need to be or appear to be successful and to avoid failure at all costs. You're going to learn a whole lot more about threes as you listen in on my conversation with Evan and learn about his journey towards self-knowledge and wholeness. And by the time this podcast is over, you're going to understand why I have now joined the ranks of people, self-professed Christians, who call Evan their rabbi. Let's get to it. Rabbi Evan Moffick, welcome to our show, Typology. Thanks, Ian. It's such an honor. I've been a fan for a while and just delighted to talk. Well, listen, I just want to begin by asking you the question, why is it that I keep running into people in the church world who have a relationship with you? Like our mutual friend, Ken, who said, hey, I want to introduce you to my my rabbi. (laughs) Evan, and I was like, huh, okay, that's interesting. So tell us a little bit about what's behind all that. Well, it started because, you know, I I serve a a Jewish congregation in a very Jewish neighborhood, actually in suburban Chicago. Uh, But I've always been interested in interfaith uh, life. It actually started, I was a rabbi in downtown Chicago. 
And I started doing a lot of interfaith weddings. So somebody Jewish, we marrying somebody Christian. And uh, we create, it was almost a, a deep lesson in interfaith life uh, because sometimes I had to negotiate differences. Sometimes I had to bring families together. Sometimes I did a wedding in a church and, and it really, it kind of gave me this education. And out of that emerged actually an opportunity to teach uh, at a large church in, in Chicago. And I taught about Jewish traditions to a, a, a large group. The class actually ended up growing. And then I got more requests and I began to develop a real interest and passion for teaching about Judaism to Christians who were interested. And a lot were interested for different reasons, some because of interfaith relationships, others because they wanted to deepen their own spirituality. You know, they knew right. Jesus was Jewish. And so it just kept growing and growing. And then I met some amazing people and uh, wrote some books and it kind of took off. Wow, that is Really kind of cool. I mean, you have this sort of interesting missionary, if you will, kind of outreach to create bonds of understanding and appreciation between Jews and Christians. And I think that's just fantastic. So let's yeah. let's jump over to the Enneagram for a second. You just were only recently introduced to this system of personality. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I was actually hanging out with a Christian friend of mine, a pastor uh, who we've had on the show, Lillian Daniel. And she told me about the Enneagram. I had heard of it. Uh, this was about three, four years ago. I'd heard of it, uh, but uh, never really explored it. And, it. and I took it. And I think like many people who, after they take it, they're like, whoa, they're a little scared, but then they're a little like, this is absolutely right. And my three and two were both the highest. And that fit me very well. I'm a driven guy. Uh, I've always known that about myself. But I also I have a very strong wife who is also very successful, and I try to be really supportive and, and helpful to her. So the two part seemed to fit. Uh, and so I took it a couple more times and three really emerged, which uh, which was not surprising to me. Um, but I also, you know, I saw that that part of myself uh, and I saw the language given to feelings that I hadn't really given language to before. So it, it, and then from there. There are not many Jews who know about the Enneagram, really. Uh, and so I actually started doing it in my congregation. We did it uh, among some leaders in the congregation. And it was just a really useful tool for us to to figure out why people responded to others in a certain way, why someone had a certain leadership style. Uh, and I've just continued to to rely on it, to consult it, using your book, uh, reading others. Uh, so it, it it was just sort of serendipity, but it's been extremely useful. That's wonderful. You know, the Enneagram has roots in a multiple number of traditions, one of them being in the Jewish mystical tradition, I guess, of yes. Kabbalah, right? And I know it's a somewhat, I mean, my impression is from having listened to Lawrence Kushner on Krista Tippett's On Being, and he, he talks about, yes. uh, you know, the kind of, uh, not suspicion, but mixed feelings that people in the Jewish tradition have about Kabbalah. Is that an accurate depiction of it? Yes, you're not supposed – the Jewish tradition sees Kabbalah as extremely powerful, that if you have – it's almost like uh, being – not a wizard, but but having these sort of spiritual powers and knowledge. And you the, the tradition says you have to be at least 40 years old, married, with children, and have mastered <laughs> the Torah and the Talmud before you can study Kabbalah. So you have to be very grounded uh, because its power is so deep. Wow. 
Well, yeah. So our listeners know, you know, I think it's important that the Enneagram is an atheological system, right? It doesn't bias or favor any religious tradition or background. It really just stands on its own as a a spiritual wisdom system, if you will. And it, it sounds like you all have, have experienced it that way. Absolutely. It's such a great tool in, in, in that regard. And, um, you know, one of the one of the ways I kind of understood it, it's in some ways it, it gives you a spirituality and a direction, but without reference to the transcendent. You know, we, we, we can have our own sort of relationship with God and our own beliefs, but the Enneagram provides a different layer to our self-understanding. And so it can work for for people of all different traditions. Yep. And that's one of the lovely things about it. You know, it's it's useful and accessible to people uh, just across the spectrum because it's about being human and trying to figure out just how to be in the world and become your, your very best self, to become a self-aware, self-knowledgeable person who, you know, knows the impact that you're having on others. And man, self-awareness. I mean, you, <laughs> it's a, a key predictor of success in relationships and in work and in every sphere of life. Yes. Well, we started, you know, we talked a little bit about this before our conversation started that there are many Jews, and I know many of them so are in my own family, who are very attracted to Buddhism uh, and who are in some ways attracted to systems where self-mindfulness, where self-awareness is promoted. And in some ways, I think as Jews, sometimes we're a little bit too much in our head, at least in mm-hmm. my own tradition. We're very intellectual. And um, that the, the, the Enneagram is sort of a useful corrective to that. It actually refocuses us on, I mean, it is intellectual in some degree, but it also brings us back to sort of the, the deeper core. And I think there, at least I have experienced many Jews searching for that and sometimes not finding the resources within the Jewish tradition, although they're there, they're just, you know, not as emphasized, but the Enneagram is, is, is um, a great tool for, to, to cultivate that, I found, in, in a spiritual sense. Now, you're a three on the Enneagram, otherwise known as the performer. You mentioned that a few moments ago. Um, yeah. Tell me how your awareness of that is beginning to affect your work. Well, it did to a great degree because when I get up and lead a worship service in the Jewish tradition, it's kind of uh, similar to what you'd see at a church. Um, I get up, I'm leading prayers, uh, I'm giving a sermon, and uh, oftentimes I realize that I'm performing. And mm. you know, I, I think a lot of great pastors are doing that too. You have to you have to perform to a degree to be a great speaker, but that can only get you so far. I think, in terms of having an impact on people, unless I am really feeling what I'm going through, you know, feeling what I'm preaching about, uh, it, it's not as impactful to to people, nor is it as satisfying for me, hmm. right? That that I'm getting up there and just, you know, like if I gave my sermon text and, you know, I, I do a lot of it just off the cuff, but if I gave my sermon text to a great actor, would they be having the same impact? I, I hope not. Uh, you know, I think part of it is is that it's, it's my being. So understanding that tendency to be a performer and trying to put more of myself and my feeling into it, I think has made me a better rabbi, a better preacher, a better teacher. Um, and it's also made me notice moments more. 
you know, in, in Judaism, we have these big holidays, kind of like Christmas and Easter, which Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and they're very powerful. And over the last couple of years, I've noticed those moments when I'm really feeling, when I'm really not just performing. And I think that's been been really wonderfully made me more fulfilled in my in my job, in my work, I think, since since understanding that part of my character. So it's been it's not like I still perform and I think I kind of have to, but it's but I'm more balanced, I think, in it. Mm. So for those of you listening, threes often well, often as a rule, threes have trouble recognizing and being able to name their feelings. You know, there's a, a slight there is a disconnection uh, with their feelings unlike the relationship that twos and fours in this feeling triad have in relationship to feelings. And it sounds to me like you're learning to connect with your emotional center and seeing the value in it. Absolutely. And and I, it's always been hard. You know, part of my job as a rabbi uh, is, is counseling people. Now, not I'm not a therapist and, and I, you know, and I refer people to therapists frequently, uh, but there are moments, especially you know, after somebody dies, if a, if somebody loses a, a parent, uh, these moments when I do have to serve as a counselor, and my default was always almost towards the the practical. Okay, what time is the funeral service at? Tell me the details of their right. life. I'll give the eulogy. I didn't really engage and be in the moment with the feelings, and I I tried to get better at it. But knowing that I'm a three helped me understand kind of why that is. Man, that is huge for a three. Like that is a pretty integrated three thing to say, you know, like that's a three that's really got some spiritual transformation under their belt. I hope so. It's, it, it was definitely, and it's always a work in progress. And, and sometimes the moments are really powerful and sometimes I still kind of feel awkward doing it. Um, you know, one of the things that I loved and I, I learned from, from your show uh, is is kind of that that the Enneagram and the book, the Enneagram focuses on motivations, not as much behavior. Yes. And I think Judaism as a religion tends to focus on behavior more than belief. So what what I kind of realized is sometimes when I was, you know, doing visiting somebody in the hospital, which is a big part of being a rabbi and something that I didn't always love. I was going through the motions and be like, okay, this is what I have to do. Uh, and, and it was fine. I was doing the job. You know, it wasn't, wasn't like I was failing at anything. And I know threes don't like to fail, uh, but I wasn't experiencing it as much. So I, I've tried to experience it more. And, and sometimes I do a, a better job than others. You know, a lot of it uh, is the mood, the context, but at least having that awareness as, as, has made me able to do it in, in other moments. So what you just did is so, I mean, in my mind, uh, wonderfully three. You just said, I just thought to myself, you know, it's on my list. Boom, I'm going to get it done, right? <laughs> it, and yes. three, threes are notoriously task-oriented, you know, accomplishment-centered, okay? They love lists and tasks, and they love crossing them off and, like, just, you know, cruising to the next one. And what you're saying is, like, I can't do that. Like, I've got to be present in the moment, which is a struggle for threes always because they're always uh, oftentimes running people over in service to getting stuff done and not seeing the feelings that other people have. Yeah, and, and it's been it's been a journey in that. And I actually think being a rabbi almost forced me to address that threeness because you can only get so far – 
if you are really ambitious and focused and smart, you know, all that kind of stuff that, you know, I had a rabbi growing up who was very influential over me. And he was the kind of guy where if you were in the hospital, he was at your bedside with chicken soup in like an hour. You know, (laughs) he was that kind of rabbi who was such a great pastor and such a great counselor and such a great listener. And, you know, we had moved to Milwaukee when I was 11 and my, my, grandmother died shortly thereafter and he came to our home. He didn't know us, but he was just a wonderful presence. And I knew myself that I'm very different. I have a different style than he does, but he was so influential on me and I, and he was immensely successful, beloved. And so I realized in some ways I had to find that core, that ability to be a better pastor, or, you know, maybe I, you know, have a large congregation and have that, you know, titles and books and all that, but not have the impact that really being with your feelings can have. And so he was a role model in that. And I realized how important it was. So being a rabbi kind of forced me, if I was doing a different career, I don't know if it would take a really major crisis to do that, or if you could just kind of skid along and avoid it altogether. But I think being a rabbi forced me to deal with it earlier. Well, to give you, you know, just a word of encouragement on that, I mean, I don't think every religious leader actually does learn that as, you know, a product of what they do for a living. Like, they just run on autopilot for a long time, if not their entire career, actually, you know, believing that ambition and great performance or task accomplishment will, in fact, carry them through their life. And so, you know, kudos to you for figuring out at a young age that, man, I I can't do it that way. That's not enough. Yeah. Well, thank you. And and I think I think a lot of it also has to do with the people you surround yourself with. Like, you know, my wife is is different. She's ambitious, but much less to a different degree than I am. And I think, yeah, I think having those people who, you know, love you. Uh, I, one of your earlier podcasts last year with I think it was Darren Whitehead, mm-hmm. who I thought was was phenomenal, talked about that 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 there people can bring you back, and the people who love you no matter what your your achievement, those are really, they're sort of teachers on the way. So I, 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 tr- I try to, to learn from others around me. Well, this um, really underscores like the whole theme of self-awareness, which is one of the greatest gifts of the Enneagram, right? You, you develop this self-knowledge, which in the moment, you know and understand the patterns when you're being unskillful in your personality, right? And you're able to head them off at the past, catch yourself in your own game and and make different choices than the ones you'd make if you were just an auto self of your personality. Right. And it's, it's so true. And, and in some ways, I think probably being a pastor, being a rabbi, in some ways, the threes, they're a part of your success, right? If you define success as having a large church and, 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 you know, being a great preacher and all that, you know, so you need the threeness if you want to have, if you want to have the reach the conventional ideas of success, but you also, if you want to have an impact, I think in a deep way, uh, be aware of that and, and be able to connect on a, on a, on a feelings level. And so that, that's kind of been a recognition in my own leadership. I think probably earlier in my career, very three oriented. And it was actually when I achieved a kind of success as a three, you know, becoming a rabbi of a large congregation, that I suddenly had to do more of of the shadow, be more aware of the of the shadow part of the threeness. 
Okay, so now now we're into some Jungian language there, right? We're talking about yeah. the, the the shadow, and yeah. you know, and you told me earlier your dad is a psychiatrist. Yes, and um, as is such a great resource and, and somebody to talk to. Uh, but yeah, I grew up in a very uh, very open home. You know, kind of like anything goes. Uh, you know, great parents, very you know academically focused, but also not very strict. Uh, had had kind of a a, a great childhood in, in in that way, and was able to be very expressive. So I was always I didn't deny feelings and could talk about them, but you know very much attuned to psychological language. So that's I think something what attracted me to taking the Enneagram. In some ways, I think the Enneagram kind of I don't know if this is a good phrase, but forced introspection. You know, a lot of people when they you you give personality tests. You know, and and like Myers Briggs or all those, and 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 people in business do them. And okay, it's a great tool, but the Enneagram is different in that it forces you to do a little bit more introspection, which is a healthy thing. And so I was very comfortable. I, no one had to persuade me to take it. And I think growing up with a psychiatrist father, somebody where psychological language was a part of the household, made me more open to these kind of introspective tools and 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 language than I would have been otherwise. Mm. Uh, so I'm lucky in that regard. So you've talked a little bit about the shadow side of a three, right? And what we want to underscore for people that what the Enneagram does is reveal what's best about you and what's worst about you, right? It, it reveals the blessing and the flip side, which is the yes. curse of a particular personality style. So what is it you love about being a three? I love the, the attention the, the ability to have an impact, the the drive as an author. I know I'm driven to go out and talk about my books, talk about my synagogue, talk about my ideas, and I'm focused on it. And I, I mean, I joke around with my wife. I say, okay, you know, let's do this. And I know that I'm going to push and push and push until I get there. Um, and I think that's a good thing in many ways. It's, it's, it, it, it's you, you can have a, an, an impact. And I, I work hard to succeed as a performer. You know, when I when I'm doing when I'm giving a, a, a speech, I'm very aware of how people are responding. And if I see that some people are disengaged, I change. I can change and be uh, spontaneous because I like the attention. I like the applause, and I think it makes me a better preacher. Um, I'm better teacher because I'm attuned to the audience. And so I I, I like that part. And and I think it's made it's 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 healthy to a degree. Absolutely, it definitely is. You know, when when anyone is healthy in their personality, they are beautiful. I mean, they they are fantastic. We need every single personality style in the world. It's just when we start to deteriorate into that average, low average, unhealthy space that we we begin to you know be our own worst enemy and do leave a little bit of wreckage in our our rearview mirror. So. Let me uh, just go right to your books because you were just mentioning them. You have a new book coming out September 12th, What Every Christian Needs to Know About the Jewishness of Jesus, and the subtitle is The Most Influential Rabbi in History. Yes. Now, I just want to know, did you take some heat for that in the Jewish community? I just just want to know if you you took a little heat. Oh, yeah. You know, there were some in the Jewish community who said, why are you writing a book about Jesus? Shouldn't you be writing a book about the Torah? 
Uh, and um, I said, yes, there are a lot of books about the Torah, uh, but um, I'd been teaching in the Christian community, doing lots of talks, different churches. And I realized there was some people wanted to learn more about Judaism through and about the Jewishness of Jesus. So I, I think I got flack because many Jews, because we're such a small people, say, well, we should be focusing on Judaism, whereas I kind of always wanted to be focused outward. So, yeah, I definitely took some flack, not not in a deep way, but more, you know, maybe you should be focusing your attention elsewhere. So threes are so attuned to what other people are thinking and feeling about them. So what did that do to you? Like when you take heat, you know, like what does it do to you? You know, it's interesting. At first it bothered me a lot. And then I kind of just brush it off, mm. you know, then, then I, I think, all right, that's their problem. And, and in some ways, because the book was successful, you know, it, it, it kind of gave me that confidence, I think, a little bit to, to also brush it off a little more. Said, OK, well, you know, it's meeting a need, even if they don't see and appreciate that. Being a son of a psychiatrist, I, I, I think my dad said it's sort of a healthy narcissism. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in that in that, you know, I, I, I kind of in, got the confidence that, you know, the book is good. I'm, I'm comfortable I had a lot of support within my congregation. I mean, they loved the fact that I'm a writer and and they and they loved the partnership. I mean, we had a whole group from Willow Creek Church that came on a Friday evening to our synagogue and it was such an amazing night. I mean, the kind of bonds that were built, the friendship. And so the, the, the congregation has been very supportive. Mm. Now your friends, I mean, we have mutual friends, I think, in Shauna and Aaron Nequist, don't we? I love them. Yes, they are. They're great friends and just such extraordinary human beings. I mean, as a model, as a couple, as parents, and, you know, we, we get together with them occasionally. We're kind of on opposite sides of Chicagoland, but um, they're truly wonderful people. Well, they're good friends of mine and good friends of typology, and we'll, we'll have them on, you know, and I'll, I'll do another deep probe into your life when, when they are. You've got, a, <laughs> you, you've got a new book, right, called The yeah. Happiness Prayer. It comes out the 12th of September on Hachette. The Happiness Prayer, Ancient Jewish Wisdom for the Best Way to Live Today. So I got to know, what's the Happiness Prayer? It's actually a text from the Talmud uh, that outlines 10 different practices, spiritual practices, although they're not all sort of traditional spiritual practices that, that we can engage in that make for a happier, more meaningful life. It incorporates what, what I really tried to do was bring together positive psychology which is the study of what makes us flourish, what makes us happy, what makes us satisfied with life, with Jewish spirituality. Uh, and this prayer was sort of this obscure text in a book of the Talmud that says, these are the actions whose worth cannot be measured. Honoring father and mother, acts of love and kindness, diligent pursuit of knowledge and wisdom. And it goes on, there's 10 of them. Actually, the original title I proposed was the other Ten Commandments. Oh, that's cool. I liked it. The publisher, because they wanted to reach a, a, a non-religious audience, thought the word commandments was a little too powerful. Whatever, you know, but, but <laughs> it, um, it really was this great tool, in some ways a tool that if you can try to model your life on these practices, you'll feel better, you'll feel happier. Well, let me ask you this. Can you do just a, I mean, one of the things, one of the goals of, of typology is for me, is to go beyond just describing types and interviewing people and hearing. I mean, I think that's really important, but also 
to give people transformational tools, like how do they work with their personality? How do they develop a spirituality that supports transformation? So I want to know, if you can, if it's possible, what are those 10 practices? We heard three, start at the beginning. What are those 10 practices? Okay. So the first one is uh, honoring father and mother, uh, which of course is the only one of them that is also in the 10 commandments. And what I take from that is, in Hebrew, the word honor is kavod. And it doesn't say love your father, mother, it says honor. And I think part of that is we owe something to the people who gave us life. And I take that as, as a way of gratitude. And so giving honor, expressing thanks for, for, for the gift of life. And, and I, talk, I tell a story about a funeral service I conducted for a mother who who had been addicted to heroin and really had had nothing to do with her children for 30 years. It's a very sad story. And yet the children were at the funeral and they spoke. They had no relationship barely with their mother, but they were thankful for the gift of life and they honored that. And it was very, very powerful. Mm. And the second one, which is a little bit less heady and, and, and difficult, is is acts of kindness. So one of the things that positive psychologists have, have understood in a science. I mean, positive psychology is a science uh, and, and it's wonderful. And one of the things they found out is the thing that gives us the greatest satisfaction is doing kindness for another person. Mm. And there's a, a psychiatrist and a writer in, in London named Adam Phillips. And Adam Phillips wrote a book about kindness where he said, we are often less kind than we want to be because it makes us feel vulnerable. So when we go to a hospital to visit somebody, it's such a great act of kindness, but a lot of us hesitate to do it because we think, oh God, we could get sick or, oh my God, this could be me. But doing kindness to others, we, we may feel it makes us look weak or soft, but it actually makes us much happier. Mm. So I talk about different things, different ways we can do that, um, overcoming that, that sort of fear we have of showing vulnerability. Then there's lifelong learning, study. One of the reasons people listen to podcasts we're always learning. And if Judaism is anything, it's a religion of, of learning, right? I mean, the, the, the idea of, of constant study. And it makes us happier. It keeps our brain cells, neurons firing as we get older. It's an extraordinary tool. So I give examples and stories of people who've, who've continued to study throughout their lives. I think a particularly powerful one is the, the literal translation in the prayer is celebrate with bride and groom. And I use that as a model for embracing rituals in life, hmm. that all we have is time, right? You know, time is our most precious commodity. We can always make more money. You know, I mean, you can work, you can take another job and make more money, but you can't make more time. And how we mark that time brings us meaning and purpose. So, you know, a wedding creates this celebration, this moment. There are so many rituals we can do in life, rituals for moments in our children's lives, rituals for retirement, rituals for changes, and, and these rituals bring meaning. So I talk about different rituals people can use and create. There's belonging to a community. There's a really interesting study that found that people who belong to a church or a synagogue and go to at least one event a month live seven years longer than people who don't. Amazing. And I think part of that is community. Life is with other people. And the Jewish people have really sort of in some ways mastered community because, you know, there's only 13 million Jews in the world, which is like 0.02% of the population. Uh, and so the, the, the 
kinds of tools of keeping community together, Jews have really embraced. So the, this this sense of belonging and in, and in you know being there for others, I think, has been a great way of, of feeling happier and healthier in life. Um, so I would so I think as a transformational practice, anybody can join a community. You know, uh, a house of worship a school board, a, a neighborhood association, and even more important in America today, because we are more fragmented. I mean, you can go into Starbucks and you can get a coffee exactly how you like it, you know, um, totally personalized to you. And there's so much in life that's like that. We get the Facebook feed we want, we get the news we want, and going out in a community forces you to be around people who are different. And I think that's that ultimately is healthier and good. Yeah, you know, in fact, my, my friend Suzanne Stabile, the, the co-author of The Road Back to You, um, she yeah. says something to the effect, and I get the words just right, that the Enneagram is solitary work you have to do in community. Ooh, that's good. Right? Yes. You, you, you can't divorce the two, you know, um, because actually everything in transformation – Everything we do, right, is played out in the context of community. Yes. Well, that's Martin Buber, I and thou. Mm. You know, Martin Buber was so influential for Christians and Jews that, you know, the, 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 the I derives meaning in, in relationship with the thou. And, and he, one of my favorite quotes of his was he said, all real life is meeting. Oh, that, meeting. That's so. amazing. All real life is meeting. Well, that's worth the yes. price of admission today. Yeah, <laughs> it's so powerful and so true. I mean, how how often do do we? I mean, just having a conversation like this when we're you know different parts of the country bouncing ideas off each other, we gain meaning and satisfaction. And I think you know, in some ways, technology opens that up enormously, of course, but it also allows us to really kind of restrict our our silos, our tribes. Which which tribes are great, but I think a community. Especially community that has differences, political differences, socioeconomic differences, makes us happier, makes us more empathetic. Uh, it makes us, you know, opens our minds more, and, and it, it's really, a, a, I think, one of the great gifts that houses of worship bring to our to our country. Okay, so far I'm loving the list. Keep going. Yeah, keep going. Okay, uh, so uh, another one. It's called uh, create shalom bein adam lechavero, which means make peace between people. And the way I interpret this is as forgiveness, that peace, shalom, uh, is not just the absence of conflict. The Hebrew word shalom, uh, it means peace, but it also means wholeness, integrity. And so figuring out ways to create relationships of wholeness among people requires forgiveness. And, and so I do a whole discussion of kind of the religious basis of forgiveness and, and looking at it from a Jewish angle, because one of the interesting things is – Oftentimes, Judaism is typecast, you know, talking typology, Judaism is typecast as a religion of law, and Christianity is typecast as a religion of love. And that's not really true. I mean, Judaism has a lot about love and forgiveness. And so I kind of go through what does forgiveness mean within Judaism and how do we um, go about – so, I mean, the book isn't just for Jews, but I try to draw from Jewish sources um, – and how do we – create ways of forgiveness. What does forgiveness mean? So I had a friend in college who um, had had an abusive relationship. And um, like 15 years later, the guy who uh, had been the abuser asked for forgiveness. And she actually emailed me and said, what should I do? And it was really 
it ended up being that he was asking for forgiveness because she had told a few people about it and his reputation had been hurt. And so was he asking for forgiveness just so he could say, oh, yeah, she forgave me? Or was it a genuine act? And what does that mean? And I tried to counsel her to say, you know, in some ways, forgiveness is moving on. It's not condoning. Forgiveness doesn't mean condoning. Forgiveness is moving on and trying to have some semblance of relationship. And I talked about the relationship between Jacob and Esau and um, uh, ultimately moving on uh, uh, and and sort of being able to have some kind of at-peaceness, at shalom in a relationship makes us happier. And we have to take proactive, we have to be proactive in doing that. Mm. Um so that was another one of the practices. That that's a tough one. That that's a really challenging one. So I just want to um, just grab one thing you said because I think it's really important. Um, there is a great difference between stereotype and type, right? Mm. So if you think about stereotype, I think people worry that you know it's the you know the enneagram is a stereotype of personality, not a type of personality, right? So yeah. you were just referring to, you know, the stereotype that people have about a particular dimension of Judaism, right, as being a, a law-based system. Yes. And that, yes. you know, stereotyping is when you take a formulaic and oversimplified conception or image of a person based on <laughs> their group, right? And and yes. that's that's— I mean, sometimes it's, you know, people use it as useful shorthand, but unlike type, it doesn't respect the individuality nor the deep, you know, going, moving beyond the surfaces of appearance or, um, you know, of social conception into the deeper meaning of the individual's life, which I think is what the Enneagram does. Absolutely. That, That makes so much sense. And as an individual, right? You have a typology, but then you understand your uniqueness. You, 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 how you experience your threeness or twoness or fourness is different than how someone else does. Oh, that, that, that's a really good, good difference. Cool. Keep going. You, you're on the number. I can't remember now. You're seven or eight now. Ah, this is a really important one. Hospitality. Uh-huh. Welcoming guests. So that's number, I put the list out of order, but I think that's number four in the list. Um, hospitality makes us happier. And uh, the the story uh, of Abraham welcoming the three uh, men who hadn't turned out to be angels into his tent is sort of the Jewish model for hospitality. And the ways that inviting people into our life makes us happier is is so tremendous. And I actually learned this, the notion uh, happened when I first, my first synagogue, my first pulpit, there were so many people who, who invited me into their homes. And I saw the, the happiness and joy that I felt and they felt. Uh, and again, in our culture today, people go out to eat all the time. I'm guilty of it myself, both my wife and I work, but having people into our home is so nourishing for our spirits. And I think to others, when we go to people's homes, so practicing hospitality, finding different ways of doing that uh, makes us happier. Uh, one of the people I actually learned this from, you, you might know her, Lauren Winner. Oh, yeah. uh, she wrote a whole book, uh, and and she uh, was um, was a, was a great friend during the writing of this book. And um, she talks a lot about hospitality, so that was that's a great source of meaning. Uh, so there's forgiveness, hospitality, learning, kindness. The last one, so the the last verse of this prayer says, and the study of Torah is equal to them all because it leads to them all. Now, 
that doesn't really make any sense sort of on the surface of it. So what kind of practice is that? What I take that to mean, Torah, the word Torah in Hebrew, it means process or learning. Mm. And so I take that last commandment as perspective, as we have to discern, as discernment. We have to discern which of these practices, these 10 practices, which of them fits in our life right now. So for example, there are times in our life where Oh, prayer is another one of them, praying. So I, I skipped that one, which, you know, for a rabbi, that's kind of odd that I skipped prayer, but <laughs> prayer is one of them. So, so there, 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 there are times in our life that, that we say we need to do more honoring of our parents. Maybe our parents are getting older and they need more of our, our honor and attention right now. And so maybe we're going to focus our efforts on that practice. There are times in our life where uh, perhaps we feel like we're out of uh, out of kilter in our learning, maybe we've gotten so busy being a parent, being in job that we haven't taken any time for for learning something different. So taking those moments uh, for discernment and looking at our life as a whole, looking at where do we fit on all these different practices, that's the last one. So it's kind of like um, a kind of looking at these practices from a higher perspective because we can never do all 10 of them all the time. I mean, maybe somebody can, but- Well, a three would try. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. Did I do? Yes. You know, and and one of the giveaways, you know, how when when, when a new book comes out, you have different bonuses and things. And so one of the bonuses that I'm giving away for people who pre-order this book is a is a chart, you know, very three-ish. It's it's all the different practices, and it kind of is a way of checking in each day to say, okay, how did I do with gratitude? How did I do with a learning? Which is a very three thing to do. But yeah, truthfully, it's impossible to do all of them. But if we take a, a higher look at our life on a regular basis, which I actually think. Again, on a Sunday morning, if you're Christian, on a Friday night, if you're Jewish, and you know, uh, uh, Fridays, if you're Muslim, there, there, are, there are prayer in a house of worship actually forces us to look at our lives from a higher perspective. So that's that's the tenth one. Wow, um, those are. I mean, listen. I mean, there's like my head was going up like popcorn. <laughs> like ideas were going up my head like popcorn because I was thinking about different types. And yes. how each of those would really, and you know, each one could speak into particular types um, more than than others could or would uh, a lot of the time. But clearly, all ten apply to every type, right? And so, you know, uh, you know, you could go through there as a, a five, for example, and see something like, you know, the emphasis on community, right, as being important. And and you know, fives tend to be people who observe life rather than leap into it and participate in life. You know, in community, it would be a discipline, a spiritual discipline for yes. them. Yes. And I could just go on and on and on, right, right through the list. Yeah. Some of these practices are easier than others. Like someone who maybe a, a, a seven, for a seven, you know, learning, lifelong learning is easy. They want to go from one subject to the next, right? Exactly. Oh, I've just mastered this this topic. Now I'm going to go on to the next one. Um, uh, or um, prayer for somebody maybe who's, what's the one that is a four? Maybe prayer is easier. Is that a four is someone who look, looks closely at themselves. Prayer may be something more attractive. Whereas, you know, a two, for a two, community is great, 
right? Mm-hmm. You're out there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Contributing. So, yes. And, and acts so- of kindness for a two would be a oh. no-brainer. Who was the baseball player? My producer, Chad, is in the room. I can't remember who it was, but he used to say what made him great was he said, most baseball players, you know, they practice at what they're good at. You know, so in other words, you know, if you're a great hitter, you just keep working on hitting because that's your sweet spot and you want to get better. He said, what made me a great baseball player is I always worked at the things I was weak at. Ooh. Isn't that good? So he said, I wasn't a great I don't know, shortstop or something. So I just worked hard on being a great shortstop. And so, again, I think it's what you're saying is like, you know, find the practice that you might actually have the greatest resistance against mm. actually, mm. you know, putting to work in your life. And that's what was going to support this journey toward shalom, right? Ultimate well-being, a wholeness, integrity uh, in your life. And and because that's where the money is, so to speak, yeah. you know, that's where the, the big payoff. A nine would be going for shalom all the time, right? Exactly. <laughs> they would always be thinking, give me shalom. Keep that interior shalom going all the time, you know? That's wonderful. And an Enneagram has actually helped me look at the, the, the Torah, the Bible differently. Mm. You know, if you look at Moses, Moses was a three. <laughs> Moses is driving. That's Moses right. is, you know, Aaron, Moses' brother, is a nine. Even the to- you know, the, the Talmud the, the Midrash talks about Aaron. It says Aaron was a peacemaker. Mm. Aaron was beloved. Aaron did not like conflict. Aaron brought people together. And so you see these different types even in, in, in these ancient texts. And I, you know, I, I think some of us want to be try, you know, if we're more like Moses, maybe we should find a little bit of Aaron. And if we're more like Aaron and we're afraid of confrontation all the time, we maybe try to be a little bit more like Moses. Okay, you're now you're firing me up, okay? Yeah. Because I'll tell you why. We we recently had Rob Bell on the program, and you told me yeah. earlier that you love his new book. Yes. And of course, he's a big fan of the Jewish tradition. He draws on so many rabbinical stories and weaves them in, into his work. And I know that from my friendship with him, that that's been an enormous influence in, in helping him, looking through the yeah. lens of the rabbis to understand his own tradition as, as a Christian. And, you know, so, you know, on and on and on about, about that. But I never got to him to talk about like Bible characters and types because you're really onto it, man. I mean, like, for example, Solomon, probably a three. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Or what about the really loyal characters? You know, there, there's loyalty with, with, is that the six? uh, Yes. Mm -hmm. That's the six. Uh, When I think about, uh, twos. I think about Ruth and Boaz, or Ruth oh, yeah. for sure, right? Like, oh, definitely. Where you go, I will go. It's that yes. two uh, thing going on. Yes. I think that if we think about fours, how about Job? Ooh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Job was was able to adapt. Job, we might say Job is kind of a nine. He was at peace. I mean, he got angry. But he never conf- – well, no, 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 actually nine wouldn't really fit because he does confront God at the end. Right. Wow, oh, that's a tricky one. Yeah, well, I was thinking about that, that how fours are so comfortable in melancholy and so familiar with grief. Oh, that, that makes – yeah, definitely. And, and jo- what about Joseph? Joseph is definitely a three. Yeah. I mean, you know, rises to the top. You know, he goes from lowly Hebrew servant to Pharaoh's second hand. Although he's got the two-ness. He's a three and a two because he's he's the number two power. He does everything for the Pharaoh. 
Mm-hmm. Right. But there's a little self-interest there. Right. I mean, I, I don't yes. know that for sure. I'd have to really think about it. But I, I, I definitely think I mean, think about him flaunting the coat. Right. Like like as a status sort of a symbol, which creates envy and Ooh. jealousy in his brothers. So, I mean, this is fantastic stuff. You know, like you, you begin this could be to be a new see, book. OK, so we're on. <laughs> Let's write it together. Yes. Can we? Yes. OK, the Bible we're in and the, Enneagram. the Bible and the Enneagram. We're all in, man. This is going to be fantastic. So listen, will you be my rabbi? I'd be honored. Okay. I'd be honored. That was my official ask. Okay. I want to join <laughs> the group. Okay. This is this is my bid for community. I want to join the group of, of Christians I know that look upon you as as their rabbi. And now it makes all the sense in the world to me because like you clearly are a person who has developed uh, a real wellspring of of wisdom and you have this ability to share it in a way that um you know sometimes wisdom can be uh used in a way that really is oppressive right you can weaponize wisdom Oh, yeah. and, and use it to oppress or to impress or to elevate yourself over others. And I've not sensed that once in our conversation. Thank you. I'm, I, I'm honored. I mean, I've learned so much from you, Ian. I mean, just the, the, the learning, going deep in the Enneagram, learning from the podcast. And, you know, I think as a three, you know, or, or, or I think part, you know, seven was also high. I, I'm always wanting to learn more. And I think that that you know, one of the things, I mean, this is not as much about the Enneagram, but I think one of the things they talk about Moses, who we, we've determined, we've decided was a three. They also said about Moses that he was humble. You know, he was the most humble man on earth. And I think humility in, in any, you know, that, that crosses the Enneagram. But the more we learn in some ways about ourselves and about others, I think the more humble we should become. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know, we know how different, we know how we have a frame of looking at the universe. So I, I, I feel very lucky. I I, I Thank you for your kind words. I feel like I've learned so much from the people that that I get to interact with. Mm. And thank you for your kind words as well. Now, listen, I just want to tell folks, you've got this book. Go pre-order it, The Happiness Prayer, Ancient Jewish Wisdom for the Best Way to Live Today. Next time you're on, let's let's talk about positive psychology because for me as a therapist, I've I've been doing a lot of reading. There's a wonderful YouTube video of Martin Seligman, I think, giving a talk about sort of an intro, right, a primer on positive psychology, and it's really fantastic because he jumps into the science of it. He's amazing. He's amazing. And if people want all the bonuses, it's it's the website is Happiness Prayer Book. All one word, happinessprayerbook.com. Great. And also your your previous book, What Every Christian Needs to Know About uh, the Jewishness of Jesus, a new way of looking at history's most influential rabbi. Is that close to what what the That's it. Okay. That's it. F- fantastic. And again, you know, Rabbi Moffick, M-O-F-F-I-C dot com. Man, I just loved this time. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ian. It was an honor. Shalom. Shalom. (laughs) That was one of the most enjoyable interviews I have done in a really long time. Evan Moppick is, I don't know, he's like a rabbi rock star, and I'm not fooling. I now have a rabbi. It's Evan Moppick. In fact, I'm so impressed with the time that we had together. I'm going to have him back in August uh, because I just think he's an amazing cat all the way around. 
All right, so let's say you're a three and you're wondering what your growth path is. Like, what does it look like for you to become a whole and healthy person? Well, let me just tell you about a concept that was devised by Ignatius of Loyola hundreds of years ago. In Latin, it's called agere contra, and that phrase means to act against. And it refers to acting against behaviors that are not life-giving and that hold us back from freedom and becoming our best selves. So here are just a couple of ways that threes can apply that concept to their lives. And by the way, all the numbers on the Enneagram should be thinking about a Jerry Contra all the time. First is, for threes, you need to begin to observe when you're beginning to craft a false image to elicit approval and aberration from other people and make the conscious decision to get real. It's like you need to learn to observe yourself in real time and intentionally step back and do the opposite, a Jerry Contra, by choosing honesty. Now, let me just give you an example of what that might look like. Threes, when they're not very self-aware, tend to exaggerate or embellish the facts in order to make themselves shine in the eyes of other people. So when a three is healthy and doing their spiritual work and they're growing, they'll be able in the moment to step back and say, uh-oh, I am inflating the facts here, exaggerating stuff in order to improve my resume and win the approval of other people. And I'm going to choose honesty right now and not give in to my passion or my deadly sin of, of deceit. That's the first way that you can employ a Jerry Contra in your life as a three, right? Going against the flow uh, or interrupting the circuit on your self-defeating behaviors. Okay, here's number two. Just try being another bozo on the bus. I mean, really, you have to resist the temptation to always take the leadership reign to be the center of attention. This is something threes tend to do when they're in that kind of semi-conscious state of their personality. Instead, try to be more collaborative than competitive. And you, you really want to begin to help uh, release the grip on your need to flaunt your own successes and rather put the emphasis uh, or help other people to shine and succeed in their lives. Okay, here's the third one for you. I love Evelyn Hunderhill. She was a great writer in the mid-20th century. She says this, we spend our lives conjugating three verbs, to want, to have, and to do, when the fundamental verb in the spiritual life is to be. Learning how to just be is harder for threes than any other number on the Enneagram because your identity is organized around doing and accomplishing tasks. So you have to begin to break your addiction and the cycle of efficiency, productivity, and goal-oriented task accomplishing all the time, right? I have a friend of mine uh, who's married to a three, and he once said to me, you know, my wife, I think, is sometimes more of a human doing than a human being. So your goal, if you want to do this at Jerry Contra work of going against your typical self-defeating behaviors is to learn how to be a human being, not a human doing. You see a world in which people 
value others not for who they are inside, but for what they do and for the successes and accomplishments they rack up. And that, that circuit needs to be interrupted. So here's a couple ways you could do that. Number one, don't take work on vacation. I mean, I know you know it's a basic thing, but like that is so difficult for a three. Don't take work on vacation. Here's another thing. I have a person I've done some consulting with who's a three, and they're a, a runner. And threes tend to turn everything into a goal-oriented activity, right? It, everything's got a goal. And I just tell this guy, from now on, I want you to run without a watch. I don't want you to you know, record your times and check it off on your list and constantly be working toward being more productive, efficient, doing better, having to be the star performer, having to win the race. Just go out and enjoy it. Just go out and enjoy it. He tells me it's incredibly difficult because he has this pattern in every area of his life. But that a Jerry Contra in this situation is for him to learn just how to be. Just how to be. Okay, I'm going to close with a quote by one of my favorite writers. His name is Parker Palmer. And uh, uh, Parker is a self-identified three on the Enneagram. He says this, Our deepest calling is to grow into our own authentic selfhood whether or not it conforms to some image of who we ought to be, as we do so, we will only find the joy that every human being seeks. We also find our path of authentic service in the world. I love that quote. The pursuit of authentic selfhood, honesty, being who we are. That's the work of a three. Here's a couple of books, by the way, and I should probably do this on every show, is just talk about some books or resources that are helpful for each number. Here's a couple for you guys who are, are threes. Number one, Richard Rohr has a great book called Immortal Diamond. The subtitle is The Search for Our True Self. Great book for threes. Robert Mulholland, he has a great book called The Deeper Journey, The Spirituality of Discovering Your True Self. Uh, another uh, great book is by Basil Pennington. It's called True Self, False Self, Unmasking uh, the Spirit Within. And then finally, Father James Martin has a wonderful book called Becoming Who You Are. So any of those books would be perfect for those of you who are threes on the Enneagram. Okay. So in closing, do you guys have any questions about your number or any other number? Um, if so, we'd love to hear from you because we'd like to begin incorporating some of those questions into our show. If you'd like to submit a question, go to our website, typologypodcast.com, and submit a question, and uh, we'll get around to answering it at some point in the future. Also, don't forget that while you're there, um, you can download a PDF of a chapter from my book called Finding Your Type. This is particularly helpful for folks who are new to the Enneagram and kind of want to get an overview of the whole system. That's a good place to start. If you like this show, please do us a favor. Go subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. And here's the really important thing. Please leave a review. It would really help other people find people, people's, sorry, people find out about this show. Uh, in fact, let it be people's. I want it to be people's. Lots of people's. Uh, it'll help folks find out about this show. I'd like to thank my friend, Chad Michael Snavely, my producer and my assistant, Wendy Nyborg, without whom the wheels would come off of this truck really, really fast. That's all for this week. And remember, in the words of the author Oscar Wilde, be yourself, 
everyone else is already taken. Talk to you next week.